Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. I'm Carl Stoveland, along with my co-host, Shannon Torrance. Hi, Carl. Howdy. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. How about yourself? Good. Boy, are we in for a treat. We've got a great interview coming up with Jen Jovan Walls, one of my favorite artists who, until six months ago, lived right here by us in Broward County and is now taking uh, Portland, Oregon by storm. I know. I can't wait to talk to her. It's going to be fun. And we're going to lead right into the interview, and we'll see you on the other side. Today's interview is with artist Jen Jovan Walls, who was a fixture in the Palm Beach and Broward County art scene until about six months ago when she and her husband moved to Portland, Oregon, where she's taking Portland by storm. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here with you two gentlemen. How is the weather today in Portland? We've got a little rain, and I thought we were going to hear thunder while we were recording, but it kind of passed us, and now we're in pretty good shape. You know, we're um, upper 70s and a little overcast. It's kind of perfect. Oh, I'm jealous of the up, uh, lower 70s thing. I, you know, when I was out there a couple of weeks ago, I really my whole body reset to normal temperatures. I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive in Florida. Yeah, our our evenings are still in the fifties here, and it's you know late July, so it's you can bear anything during the day if you know the night will be cool. That's wonderful. Yeah. Sweaters gotta have a sleeve. Love it. Sleeves and socks. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah, I had to buy socks when I went out west because I didn't have any here. (laughs) It's a problem. Loafers without socks. (laughs) Never saw it coming from you, Carl. Did it for a long time. Okay, so here we go. The purpose of all of our interviews is about artist residencies, and we're going to talk about the ones that Jen has been on. I wanted to talk a little bit first about a change in philosophy that Shannon and I have gone through with the podcast in that we initially decided we were going to just interview people who had been artists in residence in the Dry Tortugas. Then we discovered that's a very small pool we were trying to pull people out of. Indeed. And it wasn't going to be a year's worth of podcasting. And then we thought, well, we'll open it up to the National Park Service. And that certainly started to get some traction for us. And we have some people in the pipeline who have been in the National Park Service. The more we thought about it and the more we thought that we want the project, Flying Tortuga Brothers, to be more than just a vehicle for us to get the residency in the Dry Tortugas, but to become a how-to book on getting a residency for yourself as we live through it. That being said, we decided to open it up to anyone who had done residencies because there's valuable information in all of those residencies, no matter how different they are from what we're trying to do. So Jen had a very different experience than the two castaways that we're trying to be <laughs> truly, even um, though it was on an island. So why don't you tell us where you got to do your residency? And in fact, you've done it twice now. I've done it twice, but first I have to say, you know, the, the flying Tortuga brothers can just become the flying brothers and you guys could just become the pair that does residencies all around the world. I mean, don't limit yourself because everyone's going to want you knowing the way you guys handle media, which is key. Anyway, my residency that I was on twice, almost a third time, but for a little snafu personally, uh, is in Listowel, Ireland. It's a little tiny town on the wild Atlantic way, the rugged coast of Ireland. Um, 
where time has stopped pretty much. And it is a magical transforming experience. And nearly everyone who's ever done the residency is clamoring to get back because it is so wonderful. I remember following the second time that you went, because I didn't know you for the first one, but you did a really great job of keeping everyone in the loop and keeping all of your your social media mojo going while you were going through the residency and got to kind of live it vicariously. And it may have been the very first time that I thought to myself, hmm, I really have to look into this residency thing. It might be a good thing to do. Well, actually, that is one of the reasons that I believe that I get asked back on this particular one is because I blogged the entire experience and kept social media going. Um, Small towns, especially in Ireland, you know, tourism is one of their main uh, ways of staying afloat and any good, wonderful, unusual press that they can get and followings that they can develop are really important. So I think a key aspect for anyone wanting to do a residency anywhere is if you can offer, like you guys do, that kind of window into the experience that not just other artists, but other people and potential tourists are interested in, it's really a huge value to whoever is hosting a residency. Well, not only the host, but obviously for the artists themselves. I mean, you and I have talked about this a dozen times now, that the connection with the with the artist and the, the buyer, uh, the art buyer, that connection that makes them buy multiple pieces is huge. And that comes from them, you know, getting to know you and being part of your life. And that's, that's really where the social media stuff works so well for me. Oh, for sure. I mean, for me, it's a no brainer that I'm going to blog whether or not it's good for whoever I'm staying with. Um, Because for me, it's all about connecting my story with the people who are interested in my art, because I think we're selling ourselves. We're not selling really art. We're selling us and our stories. As you said, I guess my point was just that anyone who can do it, it's a real advantage when pursuing a residency, especially if you have an established history of it the way you all do and fortunately the way I do too. I think it's just a real step up when you're competing across an art arena where there may be artists who are just spectacular. It isn't always about the art. Sometimes it's about what else can you do for them. Sure, sure. Um, so I was just uh, having a conversation earlier today with some musicians and uh, they said, "Are you? do you consider yourself just a Florida artist? And I, I said, no, you know, I've painted other places before, but um, it is it is developing a um, persona and a language where you actually reside or where you travel too frequently. So a lot of artists I know travel from here to Maine or here to Asheville or and they're sort of snowbirdy, but they have um, successful careers in both places. And I think that is all about bonding with the populace, you know, wherever you are. And that's really what culture is about is connecting directly to the environment that you're working in. Absolutely. Um, Especially if you're going um, to another country, first of all, you're going to be fascinated by everything that you're seeing and experiencing, but the same way the locals are fascinated to get to know you and um, whatever story you're bringing and whatever you're, quirks and unusual mannerisms and ways of speech are it's just a wonderful way to delight and entertain each other isn't that the most wonderful thing i mean it's the most wonderful experience really for sure yeah and i think i i connect with both of you on this one in that you know jen you have your your 
your social media presence. Now for you, it's your social media personality. You know, I know you well enough at this point to know that that's just Jen, you know, there, ah. is, there is no artifice <laughs> to that. Shannon, on the other hand, has, um, a little bit of a shtick that really works well for him when he paints at the beach, you know, he's got this vest on and he shows up with this 1940s Dutch bicycle. That's an industrial bicycle with his paintings hanging off the side of it. And, you know, when, when Shannon's there, you know, he's there. And I think, you know, I like that approach and, you know, he's, people know Shannon, they recognize him. And I think that just flows into getting the following. Well, they'll talk to you. You know, when people talk to you, it's like, I think like Jen, when she's, they're just as interested in her when she's there because probably her accent or the way she dresses is a little different or whatever draws them in. And then, then the communication and conversation can start. It's beautiful. That's great. I said, it's great that a residency does that. That's basically the beautiful nuance of, of a residency. Yeah, there was one time actually where it, it, I was unusually dressed, but that's because they dressed me. And that was when I was there in December and they asked if I'd be willing to dress as an elf. I didn't really know what I was in for, um, but I was in a full elf outfit out in the freezing rain as, as they were starting the Christmas celebration in the town and ended up on the front page of the county newspaper. <laughs> but strangely dressed but seemed very appropriate for where I was so they bumped the farm report so that they could put your picture up (laughs) well I guess I don't know if it was because it was me or just because elves but you know whatever it was interesting was that Hugh Grant standing with his arm around you (laughs) no No, not at all (laughs) a bunch of little kids who were very wary of the overly friendly elf just sounds (laughs) like a perfect Hollywood movie script You and Hugh Grant in Ireland. Yeah, no. The, uh, the, so, no, it would have been Damien Stack if there was going to be someone in the picture. And if, okay. if you were going to go to Listole, you must know Damien Stack because he is, he's, although not officially the head of the town, he is by far and wide known as the one who takes care of all the residents, even though he has nothing to do with the residency. So Thanks to him, residents don't uh, generally ever rent a car. We take a, a bus from the airport, or in my case, I'm very lucky, he'll, he'll meet me there at some god-awful hour and pick me up um, because he's a very nice human. Um, and then he provides personalized tours whenever you're not working or not painting. Um, he'll show up in his car with a glove box full of candy, which is his way of keeping us alert and awake, and a lot of old 70s music and um, it drives like a bat out of hell down one lane roads playing chicken with other cars and tractors and show you all of ireland (laughs) i think that's the only way to see that is wine (laughs) wine gums in the glove box and driving at 100 miles an hour dodging sheep as you go that's exactly and it's a a rite of passage for all of the residents there i believe so can i ask um what was your um biggest takeaway creatively from your experience there the first one the first time I went Mm -hmm. Mm. so the biggest takeaway for me was that I needed to leave my home and my surroundings regularly 
and be fully immersed somewhere else in order to really feel the extent that I could reach creatively. I think we really censor ourselves when we are in comfortable surroundings. And we are also pressed for time when we are in our own surroundings. We're distracted by too many normal daily things. Boy, and, can I relate to that? I know that the the three weeks that I spent in the Pacific Northwest just absolutely changed me. I It reset my clock and speed on how I do things and what I was focusing on. It really came, and I it's carried me over here. I'm just going up. 100 miles an hour and keeping track of everything and looking at residencies all over the place because the experience was so great. Um, while we are teamed up together to try and do this Dry Tortugas one, we're both looking independently at other residencies. And uh, in fact, Sean Moss, who I drove through Oregon and Washington with and spent nine days camping with, is talking about next summer putting together a month with four or five photographers in a van and going through Alaska that way. So Sounds like a movie. I would be, yeah. <laughs> four or five photographers in a van. <laughs> Sideways, the Alaskan version. For sure. But don't you find, though, and didn't you find during that time that the well of your inspiration is much deeper than you ever get to tap in your regular life? Yeah, because I had worked really hard on the front end to make sure that all the bills were paid, everything that could break at home was taken care of and that there should be, you know, smooth sailing for the three weeks I was gone without there being any real pressure from that kind of stuff. Exactly. And, and you have to do all that prep work. Well, I guess if you're a warrior, like I am, and like, I think you are, we're more type a people. I don't know about you, Shannon. I don't think there's a type. he's typeless um but but, but in order to but i guess my point is just that is there's so much more that we can reach into and pull out of ourselves when we leave where we are i totally agree i mean i've always had this thought in the back of my head about um painting versus writing and um sometimes the well fills up and you can paint a lot of great paintings or attempt a lot of great paintings and you get a few good ones and then suddenly it's like writer's block you can't write and then you can write poetry or whatever but being in a new surrounding and around different people and maybe a different culture if you're traveling across the ocean or to the other side of the states um yeah that would open up because everything is new so yeah of course you feel childlike in a way which is the basis of creativity i think well, I think that, you captured it right there. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, look at what I did while I was gone. Out came the watercolors. I'm so glad that I threw a travel <laughs> set and some paper into my bag because once I kind of got finished and I had a couple of days on my own, I was a little prolific. You know, five watercolors in two days, and uh, right? that energy has just been—I've been feeding off that energy ever since. So, yeah, I definitely think that that's it. You have to—you have to shake the dust off yourself and move out a little bit. So what was a typical day in Listal like during your residency? How did it start? So it's very interesting. Let me describe the situation for you first. The Olive Stack Gallery is in a um, four-story walk-up that was built in the uh, early 1800s, I think. Um, so the gallery is in the main floor. 
the the second floor is the studio and living space and the studio is massive with skylights and everything in it um, and then there's um, another floor with a bedroom and bathroom and then the princess room as we called it way up on the tippy top peeking out of the attic with another bedroom and a bathroom so you start with the surroundings that are enchanting and that's where you live and where you work and the deal is you work if you're there by yourself, which I was lucky enough to be the second time, four days a week in the gallery, three days off. If you're there with another person, which I was the first time, you work two days a week, each of you, and you have the rest of the days off. So even on gallery working days, Olive has rigged it so that there's a bell that rings if the front door opens. So you basically stay in the studio working. And if the bell rings, you zip downstairs and see if someone needs help. Otherwise, you just creating uh, or exploring when you're not working in the gallery. So um, the second time I was there, I had a lovely routine where I would get up at the crack of dawn and go for a walk in the town and then go to the bakery across the street where I would meet Mary O'Flaherty, one of the shop owners directly across the way. And we would sit and shoot the breeze for a while. And uh, then I'd head in to run the gallery and, and work. And then as soon as the door closed in the evening, Damien would whip by and pick me up and we'd race up a mountain to try to see the sunset from the top of some height somewhere or to see some bizarre relic or something that he would have in his mind that was important to see. Um, so it was full on every day. Sounds sweepingly epic. It was. <laughs> this is a month away from home and you're right. We have to walk away from our lives kind of for this period of creativity and as artists we need to do that for ourselves but how do you plan how do you what is your process for getting ready for being gone from your family and your life for 30 days uh you know i tend to be pretty organized in general and so i just make sure that everything is paid up or paid in advance or electronified so that i could electronify is that a word yeah it uh, works yeah, okay. Sure, <laughs> sounds good now. to me. I made up words all the time. <laughs> okay, so make, make sure that I could handle it from there if I needed to. So just uh, making sure that everything is done ahead or that if I arrive and it's a few days behind, whatever it is, that I can quickly catch up on it. And so a lot of preparation, way more preparation the first time than the second time um, because I realized I really shouldn't bring anything the second time. So you're like a through hiker on the AT that's doing it the second time. You realize you carried too much stuff the first time, the first hike. Yeah, right. So that exactly. So the first time I brought everything, I brought paints, I brought my planner easel, I brought clothes, I brought toiletries, I brought, you know, I just had a massive amount of stuff because I didn't know. Um, and then the second time I realized after I donated all the clothes I brought in order to make room in my suitcase to bring stuff back, <laughs> I realized, let's not do that this time. So I did it differently the second time. I had all of my art supplies shipped from Jackson's in the UK to the gallery. Just a huge box arrived. Didn't have to bring a darn thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. And then I, after being in another country, I realized how perversely overclothed Americans are. In Ireland, you'll see a person wear the same outfit every day for a week, and uh, then they will change outfits. As long right? as it's clean, why not? 
Exactly. In Ireland, which is chilly, most things are not getting sweaty or, or unkempt anyway. So I realized I don't need all that stuff. And I only brought clothes I hated because I was going to donate them at the end so that I could fill my suitcase with all the art I created and all the beautiful things I collected while I was there. Nice. Yeah. They called me fashion plate in London. Did they really? <laughs> no, I didn't take that many clothes, but literally <laughs> way more clothes than I needed. <laughs> Shannon definitely has more of a flair for clothing than I do. I mean, I've been here three years and I've been wearing shorts and t-shirts ever since. He's got more style than I do by a long shot. Well, he's got some hats. Oh, yeah, I have a hat problem. Yes, absolutely. I like it. I think there's a program for that. (laughs) Hi, my name is Shannon. Hats hats anonymous. Leave Leave your hat on the rack at the door when you come in to talk about your hat problem. Well, you best not be wearing a hat when you're going to that meeting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lock, lock it in the trunk of the car before you go in, I guess. Or just lose it. <laughs> I've done that enough times in restaurants here in town. I think they're holding them hostage at this point. Carl will be back. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to chat about was I absolutely adore your whimsical characters that fill your paintings and... Obviously, I really like them since I have several of them. Yay. What arc do they go through? You know, how are they influenced by being away from home? Do they become Irish while they're there? Or do you develop a whole new set of characters? Do you do you paste new personas on your existing characters? Or do they new ones come to life while you're there? So it was interesting. Um, when I first went, I had... I, I didn't think I could bring, you know, all the acrylic paints and things that sometimes paints get confiscated when you're going over there. So I went full on watercolor um, and plan air painting when I went the first time, which isn't the way that I usually create. So by the time I was a couple weeks in, I was like, you yeah, know, I, I can't keep doing this. And I went and found a bunch of paints and started scavenging bits of wood and people started bringing me wood because, you know, I love to paint on scavenged wood and, um, so before you knew it, I was creating Irish characters. After seeing um, so many uh, of the local theater and music productions, and the first time I was there, it was the Gypsy Rose Festival, which is when the itinerants or travelers come through town, and they are and they come in the full wagons uh, with all the regalia, and they're crowning their, you know, basically their prom queen or whatever it is, or for the year. Um, and I was so influenced by their dress and their fresh faces and the freckles and everything that I just started creating Irish characters. And they, um, the Irish are very proud of their country and they responded so well, even to my whimsical work that 90% of those sold right out of the window, um, which I was surprised by because Irish art is quite traditional for the most part. Well, I think they also have, have an eye for talent and they scooped it up because of that. Well, you're very kind, um, but definitely, uh, you know, the watercolors, you know, I did them and it was nice to go out and do that and be on location. I was with an incredible oil painter, a planner painter when I was there and it was nice to just be in her shadow for a bit, but uh, no, the characters had to come out. They just always come out, Carl. They, they do. Out. I mean, that we've talked about that before where you don't really know what's going to happen when you get in the studio that, you know, one of them will start clamoring from the corner to get some attention from you and next thing you know, they're in a painting. Exactly. And they're very bossy. And 
So I just listen and do what they say because they're mean, some of them. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do with them. I I feel like uh, perhaps some of them influenced uh, the characters in uh, the recent book. In the Storyteller's Apprentice? Yeah, in the Storyteller's Apprentice, exactly. For sure, because when um, I was working with the author, Dana Kumaro, and she had this idea of a, a caravan, a wagon, I went back to all my photos and characters that I'd done when I was back in Ireland and just was able to just mine that gold. Um, yeah, I felt like I saw saw that in the characters. So that's they've definitely had a different feel than some of the stuff that I've seen you paint here. So obviously they that worked really well to have that to pull from. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was helpful because the Irish are so steeped in folklore and fairy rings, which there are fairy rings, and I got to see some of them. You know, you don't want to go on certain days or certain times of the year because you, you know, fairies are not necessarily nice, I've learned. Um, but there's so much folklore there, and they so embrace it um, that it just became part of the characters as well. They became more enchanted, I think, which I delight in. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, I've always tended to have those things around in my studio. Like I, I have right now, there's a book from the late 1800s of fairies and um, goblins and that kind of thing in my studio. Lots, of, I have lots of leather-bound books about fairies and goblins and uh, uh, sea hags and uh, <laughs> absolutely these crazy things. And it's funny because I don't use people in my artwork, but still. I find it somehow inspiring to me as a landscape painter to have this sort of thing that would be occurring um, supernaturally in nature. So, only, yeah, only an artist like you would see that, though, where you're not just painting the landscape, you're painting the setting for something fantastical, right? Some supernatural you're, event. Right. right. You're seeing the potential in the place for. It's the only way you can see fairies. Be. Right? I want you to put a sea hag in one of them, though. I want to see her. Ooh, I don't know if you do. I do. I definitely want to see the sea hag. I challenge you, Shannon. I'm throwing it down right The gauntlet now. has been thrown. Yeah. Okay. Paint the sea hag. A sea hag. Yes, and tag me when you do it. I want to see it. It'll be a seaplane flying by with sea hag as the name on the side oh. of it. <laughs> you know, like a bi- <laughs> a bi-wing plane with, like, little pontoons on the bottom. I'll definitely try to keep that in there (laughs) for sure. Perfect. So I've always lived by a uh, credo that I'm like milk in the refrigerator. I pick up the flavor of whatever's next to me, which is why I try to surround myself with creatives that are pure of intent and help me be a better artist and the people in my life, the same thing. And also in my, in my artwork, I feel like I respond to the beauty in the places that I go to. And that, that makes me a better artist that I, I rise up to the challenge of trying to make this beautiful place as beautiful as I can present it, whether it's photographically or with paint in any effort i always find that that's the that's the thing is be comfortable surround yourself with the things that you like and you know let what is around you in let it let it inform you and you know 
your characters do the same thing to you. They they tug and pull at you, and they kind of help you decide what you're going to do. They absolutely do, and uh, I love what you were saying about let what's around you in, because you can't be transformed by another place and another experience if you keep your walls up when you're there. You've got to drop your guard and and let yourself be influenced by the beauty yeah. or the people or whatever. And I find sometimes painting a landscape painting, um, at some point the painting tells you what it wants you to paint. You stop painting what you actually see and you just paint from memory, but it tells you, no, if you don't put this here, I'm not going to work. Like it literally has its own, it has its own mind. It does. And I'm sure uh, any psychologist examining this interview might find us all wackadoo, but it's the best kind of, of wackadoo. We well, are, we, things talk to us. <laughs> I was actually thinking that it sounds like we've all read some Mark Nepo in our work, in our, in our uh, travels. I'm surprised that he's not an artist because, man, uh, do I relate to him. Him and Brian Rutenberg. Oh, now you've given me another one to look up. I'm, I'm reading two different Mark Nepo books at the same time, which is a bit of a challenge, but I don't know how, I don't know how that quite happened. One is on paper and one is on my iPad. So it's whatever is nearby when I start reading. Well, Brian Rittenberg, and he would appeal to you, Carl, because he is an incredible, successful live artist who wrote a book about art and artists and the process and who does, uh, who made a video series on YouTube about it where he is as real and down to earth as you can imagine. I think there's even one scene where he's wearing his CPAP machine just to show you what he really has to go through in order to sleep at night or whatever. But as soon as we get off the air, I'm going to be looking him up. Yes. There's one thing he says in his book, which is called clear seeing place. And that book was recommended to me by an amazing artist, Stan Kurt. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'm actually taking my second workshop with him next month. Um, anyway, uh, one thing that Brian says, he has a whole chapter on why it's important for artists to be nice to other artists. Now, can you imagine that? Especially in South Florida. Someone's saying, be, be nice to each other, right? Instead of this crabs in a bucket, there's not enough for everybody mentality. Um, he is a famous guy who says, be nice to each other. So I love that. Well, I think that's why we hit it off when we met. And the same reason why Shannon and I hit it off when we met is because Truly. we are, we like to give with artists and I get more out of helping other artists than I do from holding on to it. So I've always been that way. And I like to think I carry myself through life that way. You do. You're amazingly generous with your time and your talent. Well, and apparently Shannon is too. I just don't know him that well. You you moved away from Florida too quickly. That's the only problem. Oh, well, one might say I moved away just in time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, might be know, one, I might be one of those people that would, would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, there you do reach an end to a place, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been here forever. Um, I love Florida. I'm a native Floridian. But at the same time, it took me so long to see the beauty in a place to actually paint it um, that I 
was running and screaming from here constantly. And then when I finally was able to see what it was beautiful, um, I've been doing painting that now for a while, but now I'm kind of like, I want to stretch my wings a little. I want to paint some woods and some mountains and some mist and some rain and some, I want to go out where Carl was. It sounds like you're heading to the Pacific Northwest. I know. Come on, Shannon. We promise you at least a meal with the family if you come out this way. Well, there's at times when you, there's nothing better than a meal with a family when you've been alone for a while. That's for sure. And actually, Jen, I have to thank you again because when I was out in Portland and you gave me all the tips for what to see in a very short time, but also your entire family took me out to dinner at uh, Ned Ludd and we had a a marvelous time, got to meet uh, both of your sisters and spend time with Ron. It was a wonderful evening and I can't thank you enough. It really was a great way to um, help be part of what bookended nine days of camping and living like an ape in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're willing to live the ape way. If I were going to do that trip, I'd be glamping, not camping, but uh, we were delighted to do it. And I really, that's part of what I love about Portland is there is really that sense of community for anyone who comes. And and that's just what we're going to do for whoever comes. So So good meals. I just wanted to go back one more time before we finished. Um, Yep. Are you still sending work back to um, Listral or Listow um, to the gallery? We're gonna we're gonna say it all together. Yes, Listol. Listol. <laughs> I wrote owl, but I knew what I meant. But Shannon Listol. was reading it over Listol. my shoulder. I know it looks like towel, and it took me you know the whole month I was there the first time to get it. Um, I so I'm not sending work to the gallery. It doesn't work that way. Um, you sell through what your art is there, and then until you come back. Um, to work there again, you don't have art at the gallery. However, having said that, I have more collectors in Ireland now, and I ship art to collectors in Ireland regularly. It really expanded um, my collector base tremendously. Wow, with how how uh, fairly priced your work is, sometimes the shipping must be more than the work. I price it to cover the shipping and... Yeah, it's uh, sometimes they wait in, until they've bought several for me to ship them all together. Um, it was interesting. I had one person who was following me uh, through both of my residencies and collecting some work. And then her family started following me because of that. And her family saw me post something and her family lives in Dubai and was like, we need that piece. We needed to go to her, so we're buying it through Dubai to ship to Ireland. <laughs> so it was kind of like, wow, this is what a residency does. It just connects you globally in a way that you cannot possibly fathom until you do it. You, yeah, you you tied together a residency and the social media aspect, and it gives you a global presence like never before. I think it's really just quite amazing. And I think as we're starting to wrap up, I think that, I have one question that I'd like to ask you for our listeners, and that is, what is the one piece of advice you would give to somebody who has been accepted onto a, a residency and is about to embark on their first residency? What would you, what would you tell them that they, they must know before they leave? What they must know before they leave, that all the things that they haven't planned for are going to be the things they most enjoy and remember. 
And therefore, the less you plan, the more fun you're going to have. So resist your temptation to be overly controlling and planful because that's not what you want. Well, I think that's some solid advice right there to be open to what's going to happen in front of you and how it unfolds. Yeah. So you don't have to plan for every moment you're there. Just go and see what happens. Okay. Carl, baked beans for you for like 15 days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for us, it was, you know, the, you know very well, Jen, that the sun doesn't set there in the summertime until 945. So we were right. shooting sunsets on the beach or in the mountains just about every night, which meant we didn't light the campfire until 10 o'clock at night. So it was usually some form of protein, a steak or some chicken and beans at midnight, and then rolling back out to catch the sunrise at 430. And in those situations, I bet those beans just tasted amazing. Because what doesn't taste good when you're like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, getting to sleep out in the open under Western stars and the beautiful temperatures and being at the foot of Mount Hood, I couldn't have asked for anything better. It was really one of the best experiences of my entire life. I see a title for a book of poetry by Carl Stoglin, Under Western Stars. I think I think Bruce Springsteen just used it for the name of his new album, so I'm going to have to figure something <laughs> oh, else out. On. Did he really? It's either Under Western Stars or Under Western Skies, so I'm going to have to look at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Where's the trombone when you need it? Better than calling it Three Weeks of Beans or something. <laughs> three Weeks of Beans. That would work, too. Well, with Jen, uh, with that... Jen, thank you so much. This has been an awesome interview, and we thank you for being our second guest interview. You got to follow up Clyde Butcher, who was my my first big get, and we were really, really pleased to be able to talk to him, even though he spent most of the time correcting me. Uh, <laughs> I'll work on that for next time. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for spending the time with us. It was Enjoyable for us, but I think also educational for our folks that are listening. My pleasure. Um, thank you both. And Shannon, nice to meet you. So nice to meet and, you. Your insight anyone, was wonderful. Oh, in, thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> anyone who wants to apply for the residency, by the way, they just go to olivestaff.com. Um, I believe applications open up every January. I know they're booked through 2020 right now. So mark your calendar for next december so that you can get ready to start applying i'm gonna um put links to different residencies on the website in the next couple of weeks so i'll make sure to add that one perfect me too terrific thanks so much jen it was great talking to you you're welcome guys ciao bye and we're back well that was a great interview shannon i had a lot of fun me too. Isn't she lovely? She is. And I, I knew that going in, but you finally got a chance to meet her. It was so lovely. Yeah. Um, so insightful with uh, residencies in a foreign country. Yeah, really. It's it's a very interesting dynamic because we're going to be, you know, two castaways on an island with no access to anything. And she was thrown into the middle of a town and became the center of attention. So it was a very different aspect. But it's exactly what I wanted to start sharing with other people was, you know, how different, but also how much the same these residencies can be. And our family will become 
basically the National Park Service, you know, and the people that follow the National Park Service. They will be the, our growth through this process like hers was, this little town. Boy, am I looking forward to that. So uh, we are in really good shape. We, we now have three or four people in the pipeline. Our next interview is going to be a woman who just recently finished a residency at the Key West Studios, and she is a marine researcher and artist, and we are going to be talking about all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, her work just looks amazing. Absolutely stunning. In the pipeline, we have um, two more guests lined up following that interview uh, that have connections to the National Park Service. So that's going to be a lot of fun. If anybody out there listening has done a residency and would like to talk about their experiences, please contact us through the website at www.flyingtortugabrothers.com. Couldn't have said it better myself. There we go. With that, Shannon, it's great talking to you and sharing the podcast with you again. And we'll be at, back at it again next week after I get back from New York. Always a pleasure, my friend. <laughs>